Chapter 14. Sandy Disappears Pete wasn't happy about his catch the next morning either. He'd only been able to get four trout in a long morning's castings, and they were not big ones either. Hatsy, he suspected, would have brought back eight or ten. Still, the old man had been fishing about sixty years longer than Pete. Anyway, there's enough for supper, he decided, as he wrapped the trout in long, damp grass and put them in the covered bucket which he weighed down to the stone in the water at the creek edge. He crossed the creek now and headed toward the corral. Sandy, he called. Sandy. He planned to saddle his horse and ride to meet Hatsy, but at the corral gate he stopped short. The bars were down and Sandy was not there. He called again louder this time. By now Sandy knew his name and Pete thought he would come in response to the call. Then suddenly he stopped. Why in the world were the bars down? No horse could have pulled them out. Hatsy wouldn't have taken Sandy without letting him know. Somebody had stolen Sandy. Pete ran upstream a few hundred feet to the spot where he had tethered Polka Dot. The Appaloosa was grazing peacefully. Almost without thinking, Pete snatched up the rope and led Polka Dot back to the wagon. Now he wondered if anything else had been stolen. A quick glance seemed to indicate nothing was gone. The saddle was in the wagon. The truck box hadn't been disturbed. Only one thing had happened. Sandy had disappeared. Quickly, Pete threw the Navajo saddle blanket on Polka Dot's back and saddled him. He'd have to look for Sandy. One idea kept bobbing up in his mind. He remembered the afternoon he had fallen asleep when Moore had been spying on Sandy in the corral. Maybe Moore had some interest in the horse. If Sandy was loose, he would probably head for the dunes. But if he had been stolen, the first place to look was Moore's camp. Pete urged Polka Dot up to the sides of the mountain as fast as he dared. The nimble Appaloosa heaved higher and higher on the direct line to Moore's camp. Suddenly, Pete realized he'd forgotten to do something he knew Hatsy would have done. He hadn't looked for footprints around the camp or any kind of trail showing where Sandy might have gone. For a moment, he hesitated. Perhaps he should go back. But he decided he'd already come so far he might as well push on. In spite of an urgent feeling that he must hurry, Pete reined in and gave the panting horse a rest. The trees opened up out here and he could see some of the mountainside between him and the dunes. Suddenly, Polka Dot pricked up his ears and was all attention. Pete strained to pick up the sound the horse had heard. From ahead and above came the sound of something crashing in the bush, and then unmistakably the beat of hooves. Could it be Sandy? The sound was coming closer. For a moment, Pete was undecided whether to head forward or investigate or wait, but waiting wasn't in him. He had to find out if it was Sandy. Pete urged Polka Dot straight ahead. Pete urged Polka Dot straight ahead to intercept the crashing animal, which seemed to be going toward the dunes, and then it happened. He rode into a little clearing, and there, speeding across in front of him, not a hundred yards away, was Sandy, now at full gallop, and he was dragging a rope behind him. That rope will catch something and break Sandy's neck, was Pete's first thought. He touched his heels to Polka Dot, who leaped across the clearing after the fleeing horse. At the sound of pursuit, Sandy gave one frightened glance back and then dodged amongst the aspens. With a terrible surge of fear, Pete saw Sandy snapped off his feet and thrown to the ground. The dangling rope had caught around a tree and jerked him down. But the next instant, Sandy was scrambling back to his feet, apparently unharmed. Seeing the charging horse and rider now very close upon him, Sandy dodged back out of the woods and into the clearing. Pete had had no time to think how he would catch Sandy, but now he made a lightning decision. He tried his lariat. Quickly building a loop, he spurred Polka Dot on. The Appaloosas seemed to know exactly what to do. He cut ahead of the fleeing Mustang and brought Pete close enough to make a cast. Pete let the loop sail out through the air. Polka Dot automatically skidded to a stop and braced himself. Almost too late, Pete flipped the rope around the saddle horn and then felt the terrific jerk. He'd made a good throw. 
Again, Sandy was down. Skilled cow pony that he was, Polka Dot kept the rope taut as Pete tied it firmly to the saddle horn. Just as he had done the day before when he lassoed the calf, Pete walked the rope hand over hand towards Sandy, who had scrambled to his feet and was beginning to run in a wide arc around Polka Dot. As Sandy ran, Polka Dot swung so that he always faced the frightened horse. Pete approached Sandy very slowly, talking as he had always talked at the corral. Little by little, Sandy calmed down and Pete was able to at last stroke his neck. Finally, the horse stood quivering and seemed to slowly regain the feeling that he was among friends. Pete stood by him a long time, stroking his damp sides and talking to him and thinking. Sandy had not been let loose. He had been led out of the corral, and the lead rope was one he had never seen. Sandy had also been running away from the place where Pete knew Moore's camp lay. It all added up in Pete's head to a conviction that Moore had tried to steal Sandy. Pete was just about to take his lariat off Sandy's neck when Sandy lifted his head and ears, looking intently toward the upper edge of the clearing. A second later, Moore appeared on Bridger. Sandy swung away with such force that Pete was almost pulled over flat on his face. Then Sandy began swinging in a wide arc again at the end of his rope. But Polka Dot stood his ground, swinging always with his head towards Sandy and backing up a few steps once in a while to keep the rope taut. Pete, holding to both the lariat and the lead rope, was being pulled along after Sandy. Get out of here! He shouted angrily across the clearing. I can't do anything with this horse while you're around! But Moore sat there on Bridger, watching the performance with a grin on his face. Get out! Pete yelled again. Can't you see you're spooking my horse? Who says he's your horse? Moore called back. I don't see any brand on him, and I know where you got him. The loud voice made Sandy harder to control than ever. In desperation, Pete cried, Beat it, you horse thief! Go ahead and have your fun, Moore called, turning Bridger. What makes you think anybody would want a mean animal like that anyway? He disappeared into the trees. At last, Pete got Sandy under control again. When both horses were thoroughly rested, he mounted Polka Dot and walked him slowly down the mountain to camp, leading Sandy behind. It was a good thing, he thought to himself, that he had trained Sandy to be led this way. But on the other hand, no one could have taken him out of the corral in the first place if he hadn't been trained. It was late afternoon when Pete wearily turned down the last slope into camp and saw Hatsy approaching from the downstream side. The old man looked sharply at the exhausted horses. What are you up to, partner? Looks like you've been trying to run that Mustang of yours to death. Pete said nothing until he had put Sandy in the corral and shoved the bars back into place. Then, as he unsaddled the two Appaloosas, he told Hatsy the story of what had happened. That coyote Moore seems to be pretty desperate for a pack animal, Hatsy said when Pete had finished. Back at the spread there, Lem told me Moore had been trying to buy the other burrow. Said the first one up and kicked the bucket, but Lem wouldn't sell. Could be Moore figured Sandy'd make a pack horse. He's a smart devil. He's so sure nobody would get the law on him for stealing an unbranded Mustang off a greenhorn from Chicago. What Hatsy said made Pete feel better. I'm hungry, he said. What did Aunt Clara send? This, Hatsy said, opening his saddlebag. He pulled out a head of iceberg lettuce. Looks like Clara thinks you're a rabbit. Pete grinned, pulled the head open and began to munch. Hatsy reached into the bag again. And this... He pulled out a big crochet hook. She says this is for you to use now that I told her you was finished weaving them rag rugs. She wants you to put a lace edge on them. Pete guffawed, and Hatsy pulled out quickly a whole roasted chicken, a loaf of Aunt Clara's homemade bread, and a jar of her wild raspberry jam. They sat down and went to work on the chicken, Pete using the crochet hook for a fork with his little finger extended straight out as fancy as he could hold it. 
Hatsy untied the dusty handkerchief around his neck and spread it out with much ado in his lap and used it delicately as a napkin. When he had finished his chicken, he reached over where his lariat lay, deftly swung a loop overhead and lassoed the coffee pot from a rock by the dead campfire. The pot clattered as he pulled it toward him, and he said with great elegance, Waiter, a demi-tasse, if you please. Pete laughed and built a fire while Hatsy told him what had been happening back at the ranch. Slim had given up trying to break Cracker Jack, and Uncle Lem had sold the horse to a man who bought Bronx for rodeos. How do you, How did you and the game warden come out? Pete asked. Danged old fool let his connecting rod break and run straight through the block. Always did tell him he'd better off on horseback than in one of them stink wagons. Besides, he had a pig fare and he's sitting by his telephone expecting to win a million dollars on some radio prize show. So he gave me the job of unpoaching this neck of the woods. Meet the new deputy game warden, son. Does that mean no poached eggs for breakfast? Pete asked. And then he added seriously, What are we going to do about whoever's getting ducks over there at the lake? Do you think it's Moore, maybe? I doubt it. He's up to something he needs a pack animal for. And Bridger could have carried all the ducks we found. But one thing we can do is make ourselves kind of numerous all around these parts so it's a scare off anybody who's hunting out of season, Hatsy said. Then he paused, obviously getting ready to spring something he had saved for the right moment. Lem tells me there's a rustler we ought to look out for, too. Appears some fellow's riding a Mustang's been trying to make off with one of the lazy B-5 calves. In fact, Pedro would have caught him except he vamoosed right into the dunes. Pete snorted. Well, anyway, I found out I could rope a calf, he said. Do you think I'm a rustler, sure enough? They don't know it's you. But they're sure there's a rustler, and Lem was fixing to follow you with a posse until I told him you and I could take care of the situation. Being a deputy warden, I've sort of got the law behind me now. As Pete led Sandy down to the creek for water a little later, he got to thinking about Moore again. Why was he so anxious to get a pack animal? Hatsy's talk of rustlers made him wonder whether the man was fixing to butcher calves and carry them where they could be taken out by car or truck whose tracks they'd seen. When he returned to the campfire, he mentioned the idea to Hatsy. The old man said he'd been thinking the same thing. But thinking's not going to solve any problems, he added. We just have to keep our eyes peeled. Now I'm going to hit the hay. Whether Moore was a rustler or not, Pete couldn't help hoping he and Sandy would find some way of getting even with him.